You're listening to Tech Writer Voices, a podcast covering all the latest trends in the field of technical communication. I am your host, Tom Johnson. I'm a technical writer based in Salt Lake City, Utah, and generally I interview tech writing luminaries all around the world. All the podcasts are online at idratherbewriting.com, which is my blog and my podcast site. You can click the podcast button for a complete archive of all the podcasts. We've done over 80 podcasts, so there are lots of topics that are to choose from. There's also a podcast-only feed if you just want to subscribe to that. In this podcast, I interview Sharon Burton. She is a product manager at Madcap Software, and we're talking about what's new in Flare 4, which hasn't been released yet at the time of this recording. We talk about 10 main features, including page layouts, new outputs, master project linking, smart cross-references, and more. I'm also hosting, in case you aren't aware, a free Flare 4 license giveaway on my site. If you haven't entered the contest yet, just check it out by clicking the link in the show notes. To enter, all you have to do is leave a comment below the contest post link, and in your comment, explain what's an important feature for you in a help authoring tool. So far, about 80 people have responded, and it's really interesting to see all their different comments and what they value in a help authoring tool. Also, while you're on my site, check out the informal help authoring tool survey in the sidebar. I simply asked people which help authoring tool was best for them, and I listed a few, and out of 756 votes so far, kind of surprising, 50% said Flare was was the help authoring tool that they preferred. 16% said RoboHelp, 16% said Authorit, and 16% said FrameMaker. 10% said Word, and 12% said Other. Of course, I left out a lot of tools, including Doc2Help and, and quite a few others, but maybe in a future tool survey, I'll, I'll make it more comprehensive. But if you haven't participated in that survey, I invite you to do that. Finally, if you have any feedback about the podcast, contact me using the contact button on my blog. You can also email Sharon Burton by sending uh, an email to sburton at madcapsoftware.com. Additionally, if you know of somebody who you think could be cool to interview for a podcast or somebody who'd make a great co-host in my rotating co-host show, just let me know and and I'll, I'll check it out because always looking for good ideas and and interesting topics so all right let's go to the interview hi sharon how are you doing i am up awake i've had some coffee <laughs> i have dogs on the floor in my office and nobody is making like loud chewy sounds <laughs> dogs on the floor of your office huh oh we have three dogs and um because i live here part time because i work 100 miles away um, everybody is so happy when I'm home that they follow me. And this is compound- compounded by the fact that they're all herd dogs who normally stick close to you. So I am constantly surrounded by three fairly large dogs who are just happy, happy, happy. There you are, there you are, there you are, like that. You said you work 100 miles away. Is that uh, where, where are you located? I live in Riverside, which is 100 miles north-northeast of San Diego, and uh, the deal, you know, when I took the job in, in for Madcap, we all assumed that I would be moving, I'd sell the house and move down there. Um, and then the real estate market 
fell apart in Southern California, and I could not sell my house for any amount right now. <laughs> so we're just waiting it out. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, when I moved from Florida, I had to sell my house at a loss, really, and it was kind of sad. So, but um, I would I would be grateful if I could even do that. <laughs> I would give the house to someone at this point, especially since the air conditioner died last week, and we have no air conditioning right now. Oh, that's harsh. That's harsh. Well, we'll have a new one on Thursday, but it's yeah. There we are. There we are. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> So today, today we're going to talk about Flare 4, and actually, is it 4 or 4.0 that you decided to call it? Um, I think technically it's 4.0, but we're calling it just Flare 4. Okay. And, and Blaze. And Blaze. And, and, and X-Edit, the X-Edit family of products, and Analyzer 2. It's the biggest release we've ever attempted. Why everything at once? Because we've lost our minds. I. Because I guess we decided it would be fun. <laughs> you know, we have a competitive spirit. You know, we play we play ping pong a lot. And well, I don't. I watch ping pong a lot. And uh, and I think somebody said, you know, it'd be crazy. What if we released four products all at the same time? And uh, so we did. No, there's there's good reasons. Flare and Blaze are very tightly um, connected because they are. Blaze is the print engine part of Flare broken out for those who don't need to do online. And so it's a natural to, to release both of those at the same time. And one for, question, hold sure. on, one, one question that I've heard from somebody is that they're, they don't know if they're, if they will still need Blaze or what. Can you talk about um, the, how Blaze and Flare relate to each other? Sure. Blaze, our Flare is, the, we think, of course, the perfect tool if you are doing online and print. So if, for example, you're doing software documentation, you've got, you need to deliver, you know, online help and you need to deliver a, a PDF or perhaps even send uh, a manual to a printer to deliver in the box. Um, flares your flares your deal. Um, if you wanted to, then also maybe dump some of that information into a knowledge base. You know, Flare will let you do all of that. But there are significant numbers of people out there who don't need to do any online stuff. It's not part of their product. So, if for example, they're doing manuals for cash registers, I have a client that still occasionally shows up. I've dealt with for ten years, who they do cash registers. There is no online component to a cash register. It sits there on a box at a swap meet and you use it. For those people, they only need printed manuals or PDFs. For our purposes, we're calling PDFs printed manuals. And they don't need an online help. So for them, flares overkill. They need, at best, a PDF to throw up on a website for somebody to download if they've lost their manual. But they definitely need something they can send to the printer to go into the box at the factory. Those people will need Blaze. Now, what happens if you've been using Blaze and everything's good and everything's fine and then somebody comes in your office and says, we've decided to change the product and we're going to move parts of it online and make it web-based and we're going to need some online help. Well, the beauty of, of Blaze is you can then kind of do like an upgrade, if you will. You can purchase Flare and it's I don't know what the pricing is because I don't, you know, I'm not sales so I don't know what pricing is, but I know it's very reasonably priced. You just upgrade to Flare, 
and you can open your Blaze project right inside of Flare 4. So the two look very similar, right? I, I think I remember hearing from somebody at some time that they share the same code base or code yep. foundation. Yep, they do. And th- that's why it was it made sense to release both at the same time, because if Flare is ready to go, then definitionally, so is Blaze. Um, so, yeah, they, they share the same code base. All of our products pretty much look the same, and that's deliberate. We want you to be able to leverage the knowledge you have of how one of our products works, you know, how you get around the interface, where things are, when you, when you pick up another one of our tools. So you, there's no new cognitive map to learn. You're still in a domain that looks familiar. You know, obviously there's different stuff in Capture than there is in Flare, but the interface looks the same. How things work look the same. By and large, things that are the same features from product to product appear in the same places on the same kinds of menus. So you can really leverage that knowledge when you move into another one of our products. All right, I'd like to talk about the top 10 things that are contained in Flare 4. Um, and because Flare has basically contains Blaze, Blaze's features, I assume we can kind of kill two birds with one stone. So one of these features is page layout, which is yeah. completely new. Can you talk about yeah. that? Page layout rocks. Page layout is what we've done is we've added the ability to create page layouts just like you would in Frame or or PageMaker, and I'm assuming InDesign, but I've not used InDesign, but I'm assuming it's the same. To so that your printed output looks sophisticated and real. Real is not quite the right word, but I haven't had a lot of coffee yet. So real. So you can do things like have you have headers and footers. You can have multiple page layouts. So you can have a first page and a right page and a left page and an empty page. And you can mix page sizes inside of one page layout. So you have a, a page layout set, if you will that's got a first page, a right page, a left page, an empty page. And then because we're doing maintenance manuals with schematics, we also need an 11 by 17 for those pages where we need to drop this big honkin' schematic. And so you design an 11 by 17 page, and you can choose that page layout set when you generate your target. It, it, it rocks. It's amazing. Yeah, you know, I uh, in the previous version of Flare, trying to configure the um, yeah. I can't remember what they were called master master, master pages, pages yeah to get them to look exactly right. Uh, it it was I mean especially at the beginning if it you want to have different headers and footers for certain sections and then if you want to have uh, Roman numerals at the bottom of your table of contents pages and then switch over to regular you know it seems mm-hmm. like page layout allows that. Page layout absolutely allows that. Uh, the way that I think that people are probably going to, well, um, to say this is a best practice isn't, now that I'm like thinking of like the world of printed docs, this probably isn't a best practice, but probably most people will create one set of page layouts for like their chapters and their appendices and another set of page layouts for the front ma- front material because you know the title page and the and the table of contents that kind of stuff look probably looks similar but slightly different than the rest of the book and then when they're setting up their target they're probably going to set different page numbering and cuz you can mix roman numeral I mean, it's it's easy flare 3 there were 
and I joined Madcap a year and what's today, August, uh, September 5th, a year and four days ago. And, and they released Flare 3.1 about two weeks after I started here. So I have no responsibility for Flare 3.1, uh, which has been a very convenient position sometimes. And to our credit, we did a heck of a job considering that we did all of this in two years. But page layouts, master pages was not, in my opinion, one of the stronger things that we had. You're right. It was interesting to get it all set up. It mostly made my head hurt. <laughs> I, master pages or page layouts makes everything so much simpler. It's very much like doing it in in um, Page Maker or Frame Maker or InDesign or you know any of those more advanced page layout tools. And so it's it's very familiar. You open it up, you take a look at, it, you go, oh, this looks very familiar to me. I think I understand what I need to do. And if to do the basics, you don't even have to refer to any of our documentation because it's it's that intuitive. It just it looks like a sophisticated page layout program. And if you know any of those, you can do an awful lot without right. looking at docs. I want to move on to master projects, yeah, uh, or master project linking or something. Yeah. So, in the past, you had to have separate projects for each each um, project that you have, right? But now you can somehow have a master project that links them all together. Can you elaborate on that? This is one of those features that, when I I've been previewing it has made tech writers cry. And while I don't necessarily want to make tech writers cry, there's a certain joy in doing it. Um, you've always been able to have big, fat, hairy projects where you've, if, let's say you've got, you've got a, a family of products where you work that are all tightly related. And this was the case at my previous job. I was documentation manager at a large company in Southern California. And they had one mothership product and pretty much all of the other products kind of worked with the mothership product. So you could, and there's a good case for doing it, put all the information for that, for all of the projects, or for all of the products into one project. There's some overhead for doing that. You're going to wind up with big, fat, huge projects. Flare will absolutely do that. One of the problems that we had, my previous employer, we were a FrameMaker WebWorks house, and one of the problems we had was getting everybody to use the same templates consistently, making sure that everybody had the same information for um, the welcome chapter. We had a welcome chapter that had um, how to contact tech support and documentation conventions and things like that. And we wanted to make everybody had to use the same thing. So what, what master project, what master project linking lets you do is you can create a small project that's got the right company logo um, all of the, the text that's in every manual, like, for example, documentation conventions and contacting support and um, all of that, the copyright information and the trademark information and all of that stuff that no matter what the manual is about, it's best practices or whatever it is, every manual has this information. Then you throw that up on a network somewhere, for example. Maybe set the, the folder that you put it in to read only so people can't go in there and do things. And then every writer, when they have a new project or an existing project, say they've got a Flare 3 project that they open in Flare 4, they do a special import. And it's a master project import. And they link to that project out there on the network. And there's an option to always have Flare 
or Blaze, because this also appears in Blaze, always have Flare or Blaze check that project and pull down anything that's new when you go and build a target. And the thing that's so beautiful about this is it it makes sure that everybody is using all the current stuff for that stuff that's common. So my previous employer, we had I had a distributed team of 13 writers, and they were distributed all over the world. And no matter what, every time we updated the templates or that common information, we'd post it on the SharePoint site. We would send out an email to all the writers telling them, there's an updated template. Make sure you update. And I had a good, I had a good team. And there's, there's no, nobody was being bad here. But you know how it goes. You, you know, you're in the middle of doing review comments. You've got a deadline. You know, okay, I'll do that in a few minutes. I need to finish these changes first. And then that thought flies out of your head. And we wouldn't catch that till we were doing the pre-production peer review. You know, when we've got people standing in the office going, you ready to go yet? You ready to go yet? You ready? And that's the last time that you want to have to tell people, uh, yeah, except we have to update all the templates, and that means we've got to walk all the copy again right now. So just hang tough. This will take, oh, four hours. That's, that's not a problem, right? That won't impact the build schedule or anything, will it? And that, whole, that whole situation is gone now. And I love that. I just love that. <laughs> that, that does seem like it would be really useful. I remember being on a, a team of about... 12 writers, and there would be constant updates to the template that, that people would have to reapply. Uh, a question, though. Let's sure. say you've already got projects out there that have already been generated, published, and everything, and then you update that master project file. Do the, mm-hmm. do the other projects have to be regenerated? They would need to be – you'd need to generate your targets again. Okay. Because until you do that, your project has no knowledge of anything. It doesn't know that, that that template has changed, and it won't know that until you go to build your target, and then it says, oh, I need to go out and see if anything's changed in that template. Oh, look, look, the style sheet did change. I should import those changes and apply them to my project. Good, now I'll build the target. All right, let's talk about um, – how about the the integration of Analyzer into Flare? What, what kind of – now, Analyzer, is, as I understand it, is a tool that – Basically, looks through all your help content, finds errors, finds ways to improve it, um, broken links, things like that. What, what, um, what's new about that in Flare Four? Well, we in, the first thing that's that's new is that we've improved the installation. The previous installation used an older-ish version of SQL's what was it, SQL Server Compact or something. And the new version uses a better, easier, faster installation that requires little to no manual intervention. You just click next, 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 good, then you're done. Um, and that's that's one of those things that's only a big deal if you're installing it, and then who cares? But that's nice. We've improved that. Um, I think probably the biggest – there's two new features. Analyzer 2 works with Flare 4 and Blaze. So if you're using Flare 4 and you own Analyzer 1, you know, this sounds like we're forcing you to upgrade to 2. Well, we are. But if you already own it, if you already own Analyzer 1, I've got the great news is we're just going to give you Analyzer 2. We made some changes to the database structure um, between Flare 3 and Flare 4 for Analyzer. And rather than making you pay money for that, we've just decided to be nice to you and let you have it for free. Here you go. So that's just one of those nice things that we do occasionally. The other thing that I that the thing that I think is really a big deal for for me at least for Analyzer 
So I don't like to index just flat out. And I know that, you know, when the people start listening to this podcast, there's a dozen people who are jumping up and down going, oh, I want to index. I'd like to index all day. And good, I say. They can have any indexing I might need to do in my future because I don't like it. It's a level of detail that I'm not happy at and I'm not very good at. That said, by and large, users find things through the index. You use the index to teach them the terminology of your product. They use the index to find specifically what they're looking for because very few people read our manuals because they're, you know, staggering works of heartbreaking genius. Most people don't do that. So the big feature for, for me, for Analyzer, is Analyzer will look at your project, will look at all of the, the index words you've already created, and then looks at your project for topics that contain those words and lets you know about them and suggests, gee, you've already got Apple as an index, index keyword, but here are 10 topics where you used the word Apple. Perhaps you would want to add those index keywords to these topics as well. And then with just a couple of clicks, you can automatically add those index words to those topics at those at the place where the word Apple appears. So if you're going to conditionalize out that content, then of course, you know, in one of your targets, then the word Apple won't be associated with that topic. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm glad that it's got the improved indexing capabilities because I, I hate doing the indexes, and <laughs> I don't know anybody who does. I do. My best friend loves indexing. She really does. She's one of those people who starts bouncing up and down her chair and going, indexing, indexing, I can't wait. And I just go, you're insane. It's okay. I was reading reading Paul Pearson's post, and I thought he said that that Flare actually just contains more of the analyzer features that that it didn't in the previous version. Is that true as well, or is is analyzer still a very separate product? One of the, in my opinion, one and in a lot of users' opinions, one of the weaknesses of Flare 3.1 was we had no reporting. And part there's there's several reasons why we didn't ship Flare 4 when we wanted to. One of them was Analyzer. We started, let me back up. I haven't had a lot of coffee, so I'm going to be incoherent and tell a bit of a story. One of the things that excited me very, very much about coming to Madcap and still excites me every day, is we really listen to what our users um, have to say. We want to build products that are useful to our user community. And so we released 3.1, and people really started clamoring that, yeah, 3.1 was nice, but there's no reporting. And when it was only one or two people, we went, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. But then we hit critical mass. This is why it's always important to let us know what you like and don't like about our products, because we're really listening. So we built Analyzer, and we released Analyzer, and people were happy about it, frustrated that the reporting wasn't in Flare 3.1, but happy that there was reporting available. We always knew that we were going to build some of this reporting into Flare 4. So one of the big, there's a lot of big things about Flare 4, but one of them is we've got a lot of reporting. And the difference between the reporting in Flare 4 and Analyzer is, Flare 4 is a report. It lets you know you've got these broken links. It lets you know you've got these topics not indexed. It lets you those kinds of things. 
but you have to manually now go and find those topics and add index keywords and or fix those links or whatever the issues are. Analyzer gives you the same reports, but gives you an interface to go and fix those. And in some cases, all you have to do is select a bunch of checkboxes. Yep, I want to add those index keywords to these topics, go. And it does it automatically for you. So getting Flare 4 gives you gives you reporting, but it doesn't really let you automatically fix it. You still have to go find the topic and then fix it yourself. Analyzer lets you f- automatically fix it, but not automatically like programmatically. You have all the control over what you want fixed because we're not going to just automatically fix stuff for you because we know how well that's worked in previous products. Um, we've all used products that automatically fix stuff for you and you sat there and cried while you watch it. No, that wasn't what I wanted. Don't do that. Stop. But there's no way to stop it. So you're in control of what you want fixed. You select the checkboxes, you click fix, and there you go. Another new feature that is pretty pretty significant in this new release is your topic review, right? Where you can basically send out a topic, a single topic, yeah. to anybody who can then review it and send yeah. it back. Can you explain how that works? Oh, that's such a cool feature. I, I feel like with Flare 4 that I spend all my time going, oh, that's such a cool feature. Oh, no, that's such a cool feature. There's so much in Flare 4. We, we've been putting together the, the marketing campaign for Flare 4, and we shake our heads and just go, we don't even know what to focus on, you know, because there's just so much in Flare 4. The, the topic review, this is, again, another good reason why Flare 4 was a little bit longer than we wanted because we were, a bunch of us were sitting around chatting over lunch one day and the tech, the dev guys started talking about, you know, what makes a tech writer's life hard. And without a second thought, I said, oh, the review process, it's a nightmare. I, there's no good way to, to do reviews. Every place I have ever worked, every client I've ever had, reviews is just a pain in the neck. And so we started talking about that, and we realized that if we could provide a workflow solution to reviewing inside of Flare or Blaze, because both of them have this, that that would significantly improve people's lives. So what the review process does is once you're finished writing a topic or you have reached the point where this is everything I know about the topic and it's time to send it out for review, you... Uh, it's on the file menu, topic review, something like that. You tell it you want to review this topic. You have to have the topic open. And what Flare or Blaze does is it wraps up everything that this topic needs to stand all by itself. So it magically wraps up the style sheet, any graphics that you've got, the page layout, just kind of everything that, that that topic needs to be viewed all by itself. And you select who you want to email it to, you can add people. It remembers people you've sent it to in the past. It's it's a nice little interface. And then it sends it off to those people for review. Those people get it in their, in their inbox. They double-click the attachment. If they have X-Edit Review, then it just opens up magically in X-Edit Review. They make their changes or annotations to it, and then it gets sent back. If they don't have X-Edit Review, they're prompted to download it. X-Edit Review is free. And it's always going to be free. That's one of our commitments to the community. We're never going to charge for review, ever. Um, it's just, it's free. It should be free. We're trying to make your life a little easier here, so we're not going to charge you money for that. Um, they download it, they install it, and they start reviewing. Now, one of the things that, that I, I like about 
the review process is the tech writer has control over whether or not the reviewers can make changes or just annotations. And annotations are kind of like um, notes in the PDFs. And so the tech writer can select to let people just make annotations or they can actually edit the content. <clears throat> and by default, the edit the content checkbox is cleared because we want to be cautious here. There are, you know, most writers don't want people making changes to their content. It, the writer wants to be in control of that. But there are, there are workflows, I have worked with them, where anybody in the company has the right to write the content any way they want. So we wanted to account for both both workflows. And, you know, everybody has a reviewer who's actually a pretty darn good writer. And so if you send it to Bob, you know that Bob's going to give you good content. It's okay to let Bob, you know, rewrite things to his or her heart's content. It's no problem. So we want to account for that workflow, you know. We don't want to make you work our way. We want the tools to work the way you need them to work. So it's it's a rock and... And then you import the topic back into your project. You can accept it, um, or you can just, you know, keep it in your inbox, and you can go and make the changes. It's a rock, and it's a really, really cool feature. I, I do think that's interesting. I mean, getting the reviews from SMEs and and other people is um, something that, as you say, every tech writer really hates. So. I would be interested to explore that and experiment with that. Even just doing peer edits with other members on your team, you know, it seems like that would be that would be a good thing. Now, I have another uh, new feature I want you to tell me about, and that's your new formats. Um, you have not only PDF but also XHTML and WebHelp Air, or not WebHelp Air, Adobe Air as an output. Can you talk about those three and why you decided to add them? Um, well, we've also got XPS. So we've got XPS, PDF, XHTML, and Adobe Air. Um, we decided to add them because we don't want to limit you in what you can do. So let's start with XPS. XPS is uh, it's a format. It's a Microsoft format. It's much like PDF except that um, it's more secure. One of the, the issues with PDF now is it's gotten to be such an open standard that it is apparently, and I am not an expert here, but it is apparently now more of a security risk because you can more easily embed bad things into PDFs. So Microsoft came up with the XPS format, which gives you pre- a lot of the benefits of PDF without security risks, they say. Um, it's also it's a nice format if you if you need to send files to like a printer and you want your color to be exact. We all know getting exact color in PDF is kind of hard because color often gets remapped to to RGB. And if you want to CMYK, CMYK, if I haven't had enough coffee, Sam, yeah, CMYK. Um, if you want CMYK color and it gets mapped to RGB, sometimes you don't get the colors you were hoping for. XPS fixes that. And not a lot of people are using it yet, but it is a Vista um, standard, and Microsoft is very committed to it. So we want to make that available for people who are who want that format. Um, straight to PDF is awesome. You don't need to go to Word or, or FrameMaker anymore. You can write inside of Flare 4 or Blaze. You just go right to PDF, and it's beautiful. It's good. It's lovely. It's wonderful. 
I jump up and down every time I see it because um, it's cool and neat. And you get bookmarks and you get all kinds of things and it's great and wonderful. Um, XHTML. I am not as familiar with XHTML and Flare 4 as I am in Blaze because I am the product manager for Blaze, so I spend more of my time in Blaze. But I know in Blaze, XHTML is a format that we added because it's a good format to have if you need it. Most people, in my experience, don't need it. But if you do need it, it's there. Now, who usually needs it? Usually, in my experience, it's for programmer's manuals because in Blaze... XHTML is not going to give you a bunch of, of XHTML pages. It's going to shove your entire book into one big fat XHTML file. And usually, anybody who wants that, it's usually for programmer's manuals. I, I'm not entirely sure why, but I know that when it's been requested from me in the past when I've, you know, I've been working on projects, um, it's programmer's manuals. Programmers seem to really like having their 300-page reference manual, you know, API manual in one big XHTML file. And you go, I think the PDF is better, but all right then, if that's what you want, we can deliver that. Um, so, And then Air, we did Air simply because Adobe announced Air and it looked like an interesting format and it wasn't at all difficult for us to create, so we created Air. Well, cool. I'm glad to see that that you're you, you've expanded that. I mean, the, the Adobe Air one always looks a little controversial. Like, hey, isn't that an Adobe proprietary proprietary format or something? But but it's not, right? It's a nope, open platform. It's, it's an open platform. I, I Air I, Air makes me a little bit nervous just because it's new. I don't mean nervous, you know, in terms of our output. I mean nervous. At, take off my madcap hat and put on my techcom professional hat. It it makes me a little bit nervous because it apparent air can do things on your user's desktop. Apparently you can use air to like open applications and feed data to applications and and that you know, I've been around long enough that that just kinda I'll never forget before I put a firewall in. This was back when I first installed my cable modem and I was a very early adopter and I didn't think that was you know, firewall was needed because, you know, oh, come on, please. And I was sitting here one night and uh, working on a project, and I looked up at my computer and watched my cursor move across my screen and double-click an application. Um, and that's one of those feelings you never forget, and I do for the off button, believe me. Um, but so, yeah, so the idea of another application taking over my desktop, and that makes me nervous. I don't think tech writers are going to be doing that, but that whole... My, I get a sick feeling in my stomach even thinking about that. That just makes me kind of go, whoo, that's scary. Um, but, you know, we don't, we don't want to limit our users. If, if, there's, if uh, tech writers out there need to be delivering in Adobe Air, we want to be able to provide that. Well, the other thing about Adobe Air that I don't like is that it requires users to install something before they can view the file. And I think that anytime users see that, it's just, especially in a corporate environment where maybe they're not allowed to install things, it can be yeah. a really road. It can be a stumbling block. So, and if you're doing stuff for like consumers, you know, and I, I've done a lot, a lot of consumer software, consumer hardware in my career. If you're installing stuff for just you know shrink wrap consumers, you don't know if that's a stumbling block for them because. They could be not super sophisticated at computers. That you know, they're good enough to do what they want to do, but they don't. 
have intermediate knowledge of other things and that can stop them. They can look at that and go, I don't know what to do. And usually if users don't know what to do, they just stop doing anything. And now they can't get to your help because they had to install something and that brought them to a standstill. So I, I guess know your audience, you know, as always. Right. Another new feature in Flare is the mini TOC for print. Previously, you could do mini TOCs with online, but now you've expanded that capability. And, and let me just, uh, for those people who, who don't know what a mini table of contents is, it's just like the table of contents that applies for that chapter only. It appears at the beginning of a chapter. So tell me about this mini TOC. Why would people even want this? I mean, isn't the TOC at the beginning sufficient? Um, there's, you know, there's so many ways to design a book. I've spent a big part of my career doing book design. There's, there, this is one of those where there is no best practice. It's just the design that you want. And so a lot of people have, you know, the master TOC at the beginning, but perhaps they're doing a training guide or perhaps they just think it's friendlier. And they want a TOC at the beginning of each chapter as well. And in FrameMaker, and I've spent my career designing books mostly in FrameMaker, um, there were a couple of ways to do this. You could generate a TOC for the chapter and then import it by reference. And that got kind of dicey and strange and weird. Or you could just just do cross-references. But if you did cross-references and you were using conditional text in the chapter and perhaps one of those sections you conditioned out then the cross-reference broke. So you, it, it got really weird and things got hard. And uh, I did a manual once. Um, I didn't write the manual. I converted it from Word to Frame and then maintained their changes in FrameMaker for a, an aviation company. They had uh, their maintenance policies and procedures. And, and they had a TOC. They wanted it. Apparently, it was an FAA, uh, FAA convention to have a TOC at the beginning of each chapter. And the chapters were really long. And it got weird and crazy and strange. and eh. So the way that we're doing it in Flare and Blaze, and again, I'm more conversant in Blaze because that's my product. Um, you could use cross-references to fake it in Flare or Blaze if you wanted. But you're going to wind up with the same issue if you conditionalize out text and, you know, you exclude condition A but include condition B. Now you could wind up with things that aren't quite the way you wanted them. You're better off with, with a mini TOC because it's only going to list the topics that are in that chapter. So if you've conditioned out three or four topics, um, it's just going to automatically know about that. Wow, I really went all the way down the street and came back again for that, didn't I? <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. <laughs> I, I think I think that we hit upon the main core new features in Flare, but um I, I wanted to hit ten. So I have four four more here. Okay. One of them one of them I don't hear a lot about, but this is one that's uh, something that I experience a lot. Okay, so talk about the image resizing new capabilities in in Flare, because in in Flare 3.1, um, if you applied a, a max height and a max width to an image, it didn't really do anything in your style sheet. I don't even know if the option was available. Now it totally applies that, and, and Flare does something new. Can you explain a little bit about that? 
No, actually, I can't. <laughs> you just hit one of those things where I just, I'm going, really? We did that? That's fantastic. Well, well good for us. Um, all right. Yeah, I wish I could tell you, you know, chapter and verse on that one, but you just, you just hit something that I'm, I'm delighted we did. And I had no idea we did that. So that sounds out just really neat and wonderful and good for us. And I can't wait to have somebody, you know, tell me all about that. Well, well, uh, I'll just give a little more detail then. Uh, Usually a lot of times people want to reduce their screenshots so they get more, more area covered. And, um, the, the customary way to do that was to resize them in Snagit or Photoshop or something because then you get a scaled better mm-hmm. and then uh, upload it to, to Flare. But now in Flare, you can just upload the image in its full size and go to the, your, your style sheet in the IMG property, the image property, and set what height and width you want for which medium. And it will actually resize it. And I, I've compared oh, the resizing with Snagit and it looks the same. So uh, yeah, I think well. that's a significant new feature. And you know, I I wish I'd known about that feature yesterday. I was talking to a a customer in Australia who was asking a question and that would have solved one of his questions. So now I'm going to contact him and go, hey, wait, I have a solution for you. Wow, we did a good job there. Good for us. Another another feature, now this isn't necessarily a feature of the software per se, but you have a lot more help guides. Um, Mm -hmm. Why the emphasis on that in this release? This this release is very, very robust, and we walked into the printing area in ways that we've never done that before. And I did a survey when I first started at Madcap. I, I wanted, you know, I'm a FrameMaker expert. I spent my career doing manuals in FrameMaker and using WebWorks Publisher and to single source. And, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a RoboHelp expert, except I'm working with the people who created RoboHelp, so... I don't really know much about RoboHelp as it turns out. And I know that there are a lot of people out there who are there. FrameMaker did us really, really well for a long time. And for some applications, it's still probably the right tool. You know, when you look at all of the tools and you look at, you know, money and workflow and all of it, yeah, no, FrameMaker is still kind of doing the job. So there we are. But there's a lot of people who are very willing to move to something else and not because, you know, they're bored and what the heck, let's spend some money and move to something else, but because the way that we're having to work is changing. Um, this recession, and now I'm going to wander off into an area, but I'll come back. I promise. Uh, my students will all go just, they, this is where my students put their pencils down and go, fine. She's wandered off into something else now. Uh, and then they're shocked when it turns up on an exam. They had no idea. This recession is weird. Um, I was, I was hanging out with a bunch of my tech writer friends the other day and we were talking about this tech, the previous recession, lots and lots of tech writers lost their jobs and, and it was ugly and I hope to never see a recession like that again. This recession is different than the previous two in that we don't really, we don't know a lot of tech writers losing their jobs. It seems like tech writers are still generally employed. They're still generally holding on to their jobs. But what's happening is kind of a functional layoff, if you will, in that the workload is increasing, but the head the headcount isn't. They're not people aren't hiring more people. So while no tech writers are getting laid off, in a way, kind of tech writers are getting laid off because you're 
already aggressive schedules are becoming crazy. Now I'm coming back to FrameMaker, and then I will come back to Flare, I promise. FrameMaker is a, it's a good tool for writing manuals in, and if you're using WebWorks or Flare, it's, it's, it works pretty well to get your content out into online help. The problem is, you're kind of stuck with the whole chapter book metaphor. Even if you're, you're single sourcing out with our tool or other tools into online help, your content's kind of trapped in these big chunks. Okay. One of the things that I love about Flare or Blaze is that the metaphor has shifted, has shifted from these big chunks of information into smaller chunks, into these topics. And you can even get down into snippets, and snippets can be down to, you know, like a word. You could have a word in a snippet if that's what you want. It's not a great way to do it, but by God, if that's what you want, we can do that. That's letting us use our, our information, start to leverage our information. And if you've written it once already, you can reuse that in another area and possibly even in another product in a way that locking your information up in chapters and books didn't. And this flexibility lets you start delivering better content even with these crazy deadlines. Is that is that making sense? So I've, what, I've wandered far afield here, so bring me back and then I'll tell you how this all relates. What I'm what I'm thinking is uh, what I'm understanding is that this topic-based authoring model and this ex- expanded print capabilities have allowed you to take much of the content that was trapped in your Flare's uh, comprehensive online help file and make more printable manuals yes. and more dif- a different variety of, of yes. things. Yes, thank you. I knew there was a reason I started down this path. <laughs> now that I'm, thank you for bringing me back. Now I'm going to bring it on home. Um, no, the the reason we have more manuals is we're trying to support our frame users because we know that, that there are we know that there are a lot of frame users who are looking to move to this topic based authoring that unstructured frame doesn't let them do and they're not ready for a variety of good reasons they don't want to go into structured frame so they want to move into the topic based authoring they know that there's there's good business reasons to do that and we know that that it's a change of metaphor and a change of tools and they're going to need support so we've got manuals specifically to help them move on. We also know that we're moving from innovators and early adopters. We're crossing that chasm, if you will. And I know that, you know, six people who are listening eventually to this podcast have now just, you know, thrown their headphones on the floor and go, ah. But it's, you know, there's a certain truth to that. We're crossing that chasm into the mainstream. And doing that, we all should know, moving from those early adopters into the mainstream means that you've just got to provide more and better documentation. Because early adopters will puzzle it out. Mainstream, you don't have time to puzzle it out. You need to go into the docs, get the answer you need, and get back to work. So that means more documentation as well. And we've also just got this insanely good tech writer um, who I don't think he sleeps. I'm, I'm actually starting to wonder if Paul isn't actually a vampire um, in the nicest possible way. But he doesn't ever seem to sleep or anything. The guy is just insane and he just Didn't you say that he's he's in Europe somewhere? No, he's in the apparently beautiful rolling hills of North Carolina, which from uh, what I understand he never actually gets to see because he works literally in a basement office that has no windows. So, yeah, this is why I'm thinking vampire because I'm not sure he's seen the light of day in like six months. Um, a heck of a nice man, a bright, bright, bright guy. Um, 
and really, really committed to providing documentation that people are going to find useful. And so that's what he's been doing. Well, good. Okay, we've got two more features that I want to cover. Can um, we take a really fast break, like a 30-second sure. break? Okay, sure. let me take a 30-second break, and maybe not even that long. I'll be right back. Hold on. Ah, good. Sorry about that. I've had a dog who's been sitting here staring at me quite patiently for the last 15 minutes, but has very clearly been getting a little more agitated about out. I need out. I need out. Seriously, I need out now. You need to let me out. So he's, he's out. He's in the front yard now doing whatever it is he needs to be doing. All right, so so there's one feature, um, and I'll let you pick the last one. But context-sensitive <laughs> context cross-references. Yeah. What exactly is this, and why is it important? This is one of those features that um, one of our one of our super smart developers came up with, and it's one of those features that I'm so excited about that I feed it ice cream and brush its hair. Um, it's this crazy feature. Okay, back to workflow because. I come at everything as a docs manager or as a business owner. I just I come at everything from that direction. One of the things that's really frustrating is when you're doing the final walkthrough of your manual and you discover that um, you've got a cross-reference that says, for more information, see printing files on page 12. And you're on page 12 because you've been reorganizing information you know, as you go and good then, now it's all there and you, it looks stupid. So in... Other tools, you have to go and modify the cross-reference to see printing files or see printing files and below or above or whatever it is and hope that your user, you know, and hope that your user can figure out that's the next topic or hope that in the very, very final last couple of seconds, nobody's going to change where printing fi- the topic printing files is. And bleh. what what smart cross-references does is it's smart enough to know automatically if it's, for more information, see printing files, and printing files is the next topic, it knows, it replaces automatically on page 12 with the word below, or above, or next page, or previous page. And it's all automatic. It's one less thing to worry about at that point in the project where you really don't want to have to worry about this stuff. And you can go in the style sheet. I found this the other day. You can go into our style sheet in some place I don't recall, but I remember I, I looked at it and went, oh, well, that's just very cool. I need to remember that. You can go into the style sheet, and if your manual, say you're doing a German version, obviously next, previous, above and below in English isn't going to work, um, and you can, your localizers can go in using lingo, and they can change those words to the German the correct German words or the correct French words or whatever language they're localizing in. So it can be um, localization correct as well. I I just like it because I'm lazy and I always finished a project two weeks before the project was actually done in my head. The last two weeks of any project for me have always been the ugliest two weeks because I'm totally done with the project. I'm really... I'm, my attention span has been exceeded, and I'm no longer interested in this project, but I still have two more weeks to get done. And that's when I start dropping details, like doing that final walkthrough to make sure that the cross-references are smart, not stupid, and that kind of stuff. And anything that we can do to make that point in the project easier for people, I think is a good thing. And I think that's what this this does. We're just wandering all over the garden today, aren't we? At least I <laughs> that's, am. That's 
that's I think that's pretty on topic there. So I yeah, have that's all a, these that's words, cool Tom, and I've got to use them all every time. <laughs> but I think I got you at the very beginning of the day, so you're very fresh <laughs> and you got your mind is all open and bright. So what's screamingly funny is my niece is exactly the same way as is my sister, and so when you get the three of us together. You have no hope of getting a word in edgewise. I can't wait for my granddaughter to, she's only like three and a half. I can't wait for her to hit like eight or nine because I figure we'll get the four women together and it's just going to be a nightmare. That'll just be like constant talk for 20 hours a day. So, so okay, we've talked about nine new features. Is there any one feature that I didn't cover that you think is significant? Just kind of about flair or... Or Blaze or uh, both? Yeah, or both. Probably not a new feature, but there's there's a, a cluster of features that I just look at and I just go, wow, this is amazing. And that, that cluster of features is in your st- – these aren't new. They're not new, but it just – they excite me. First of all, in your style sheet, you can have multiple mediums. Multiple mediums are a way of using one style sheet to define different looks – that you're going to use later. So you go in and you have a medium for online and you have a medium for seven by nine and you have a medium for, you know, DVD case and you have a medium for eight and a half by 11 and you can change how your content looks depending on which medium you specify in your style sheet. So you're really separating your content from your formatting, which rocks and why that rocks. I'll come to in a minute. Then you can go to your, you can create different sets of master pages for each one of those mediums. So you can have an eight and a half by 11, you can have a DVD case and you can have, you know, whatever printed medium or online medium you need, you can have the master pages look right for that. Then in your target, you specify which medium to use in your style sheet, which set of master pages to use. So you can just automatically create the DVD case. You can specify an outline and we want these topics to go in the getting started guide that's going on our DVD case. And then the the part, so that's all really cool and neat. I really like that because that's all set up and automatic. Once you set it up, it's all automatic. And then the part that just makes me just like sigh with happiness is in that target, when you're setting up your target, you can specify where you want the PDF or the help to go on your network after it's built. And I really, really like that. In my previous employer, we spent an enormous amount of time checking in the deliverables to the build structure. And it was a painful, icky process, and we had lists, and you had to go, and you know, nah, nah, and we always screwed it up. We just always screwed it up. And the build would, would break, and then we'd, oh, I forgot this one has to go in this special place, and I forgot all about it, and, nah, and that was no fun. So you can get this all set up to be automatic, and then run Flare or Blaze at the command line. And that's really well documented in our um, online help. And it's been there from Flare 1 because it was a feature apparently that was wanted very badly in RoboHelp. And when our guys, you know, left Macromedia and started building Flare, they realized that this was a feature that just needed to be there from the beginning. So you can set it all up and then run Flare or Blaze from the command line so that elves can come in the dark of night and build your deliverables, put them in the build structure where they belong, and everything's going to work. Not a new feature for this release, but it's just one of those features I just go, God, that's such a cool feature. My previous employer still hasn't solved this problem, still. 
I agree that the ability to publish your target just with a button click is pretty cool. I I have my files hosted on a SharePoint site, um, just in a document repository, and I've just configured Flare to publish to that document repository. And it's nice if there's a mistake or something that needs to be added. It takes like two minutes, and I don't know if it's got built-in FTP capability or what, yep. but it's able to to really upload that without having to copy files and drag them here or put them there. So that's actually, I think that's one of the cooler features. Um, but yeah, as you say, that that now that has been in there, and, and probably for a lot of new users, it, it, they definitely need more of a uh, intro. Uh, because those features that you mentioned are some of the cool things that I like about Flare, that flexibility to mix and match the, the style sheet with the target and the medium and things like that. And if you don't want to do that, you don't ever have to go there. You know, you don't ever have to. It's one of our products are are really insanely flexible, and we I probably get emails uh, once a month, you know, from doing demos and things and. Somebody will send me an email saying, could you send me the best practices? I want to make sure I'm using Flare Flare, because Blaze is, you know, has not been released until next week, next week our time. Um, I want to know the, the, I want to make sure I'm using Flare the right way. And I just, I have to send them an email back or call them and go, there is no right way. We're, we're, we're not forcing you to work our way. We're, we're letting you, by and large, work the way you want to work, and the tool's been designed to be that flexible. And that flexibility can kind of freak people out because they want the structure of, you know, but Word or Frame or or PageMaker or all of these, you know, other tools, I had to work a certain way, and I want the tool to tell me how to work. And, and I understand that, but we're not going to do that to you. You you. You need to know how to work best in your environment. And then for the most part, our tools are going to be flexible enough to adapt to that. But I can understand how that might be frustrating sometimes. Well, you do have a lot more features in Flare and the other other tools that uh, I, I'll just leave as a link to your What's New guide. Because I, I think it's a 40-page guide or something. Uh, or The release notes are really in-depth is what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I'll leave that for listeners to pursue. And uh, I really appreciate you talking to me this morning, Sharon. I think you you really have a good way of explaining things in a clear and uh, engaging way. So I appreciate that. Albeit wordy. (laughs) (laughs) I just Uh, want to encourage everybody, go to the website, download the trials. You know, even if you're perfectly happy with the tool you've got, what we're doing at Madcap is impacting and influencing the industry as a whole, which is frankly why I took this job. I I was in this incredibly fortunate position last year. I had two job offers for two really interesting jobs that were comparable offers sitting on my coffee table for three weeks. And and just, you know, how often are you that fortunate in your life? Uh, Very rarely. And one of them was a job in Seattle and Seattle is one of my favorite U.S. cities so that was, you know, that was hard. But Madcap Madcap is changing how we work in our field. And this isn't, you know, some airy-fairy Sharon pie in the sky thing. When I was at a conference not too long ago, you know, everybody was in session. And so the the vendor area was really quiet. So I was talking to the other vendors and I was talking to the guy at Doc to help. And they had just come out with their 
latest release. And I asked him to show it to me. I've never really seen Dr. Help. So he was showing it to me. And I was just, I was smiling bigger and bigger, you know. And he finally looked at me, he saw me just grinning. And he said, yeah, I know, it looks like it looks like Flair. I said, yeah, it does. It looks a lot like Flair. And he says, yeah, we got a copy of Flair and looked at what you guys were doing and really liked it. And so we kind of stole a lot of what you were doing. And this is... This job is fun for a multiple for multiple reasons, but you know how often in your lifetime do you get to have a job where you're influencing the course of our our industry for the next decade? And I think that's what we're doing. We're we're kind of showing what's possible, and even our competitors are watching us and stealing our good ideas. That's tremendously exciting for me. That is, that is interesting. That is. All right, Sharon, if people want to know more about Madcap, of course, they go to madcapsoftware.com, but you also have a blog at madcapsoftware.wordpress.com, so yes. I'll put that that link in the show notes. And Mike Hamilton has a blog at madcapsoftware1.wordpress.com, right? Or two. It's Which two. Is it? It's two. Two, sorry. I got in there and set my, my, <laughs> my blog up right before him, and I got to take the one I wanted. So, yeah. Um, and Mike's blog, he's much, he doesn't blog as often as I do, but he's much better at staying on point. Uh, it should be no surprise to anybody who's bothered to listen this far that I don't actually stay on point too often. Um, I blog, I blog about all kinds of things, including our products and what goes on at Madcap, but I also, you know, being me, talk about my students and I talk about tech com topics and my son turned 30 the other day, so I blogged a little bit about him and how proud I am of him and, you know, so you're going to just kind of get everything under the sun. Um, some of it may hopefully be worthwhile. All right. Well, thanks, Sharon. Appreciate it. You go have a terrific day. I heard your children in the background. You should go hug and kiss all of them because the week after next, they're going to be turning 30, and you're going to wonder what the heck happened. Trust me on this one. Yeah, they're growing up fast. So. Yeah, faster than you can imagine. If They live in a different time stream than the rest of us. been listening to tech writer voices podcast exploring all the latest trends in the field of technical communication i've been talking with sharon burton product manager at madcap software as she explains flare 4 as well as some of the other new releases from madcap blaze xedit and analyzer you can find out more about all those products at madcapsoftware.com you can ask specific questions to Sharon by sending her an email at sburton at madcapsoftware.com or by visiting her blog at madcapsoftware.wordpress.com or Mike Hamilton's blog at madcapsoftware2.wordpress.com. And of course, you can find more podcasts to listen to at my blog, I'dRatherBeWriting.com. We have over 80 plus podcasts, so... If you're looking for a specific topic, we've probably covered it. And finally, if you have any feedback, you can send me an email at tomjohnson1492 at gmail.com or post a comment on the show notes. Thanks for listening.